Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, the red lights are on, so I guess I have to talk. Is that correct? Okay, so I have to talk. Megan, uh, when you you have to get up really early to get over here to do this early shift. I do. So then when you go home, do you take a nap? I wish I could today, but it's not going to happen. Uh-oh. Yeah. The kids and you Yeah, and a lot going on. But, and, you know, the problem is then if I wait too late to take a nap, then it's it's too late in the evening and then you can't go to sleep again. Right. So, yeah, I'm just going to have to tough it power out. through. <laughs> <laughs> I Lots think you of got coffee. <laughs> you got the strength. <laughs> <laughs> See you a little later. Yes, folks, and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly. And if you have any questions, concerns, or comments about your landscape, your house plants, or whatever, you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. On Saturday mornings, we get together and we discuss those type things. Everything from soil improvements to uh-oh, what's that on my tree to, uh-oh, why are those twigs falling off the end of the branches? Those are beetles, beetle larvae, twig pruners, uh, diseases, and whatever. So, But remember my words, open opportunities. After that, it's going to take work, mental and physical, on your part. It's a marathon, and there truly is no sprints. So that's the fun part of it. This is your show, and I certainly appreciate you being here. And thanks to Greg, he's back again after taking a week off and having some fun up in Chicago. And uh, he's producing. Last week, it took two people to infill for him. That shows you what a great job he actually does. And I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. And I've written five gardening books. Two are currently available at various locations and online as well. I write articles for the Missouri Gardener magazine. And during the week, I do landscape consulting. And if you'd like for me to come to your home and do a walk and talk, you can go to my website, www.mikemillerdesigns.com. On the homepage, there's an email address and phone number where I can be reached. Today, after the show, I'm headed over towards Frontenac. And a couple people have given, want me to send them gift certificates for walk and talk. So I also do that. I email it to them. And today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Uh, every morning I sort of sit there on Saturday. Let's see, what do I want to take the walk? Hmm. So I decided to head north on Macklin. I went to Daggett, and there is a cobblestone-edged map of Italy. Wow, and the sign reads, Italian Gardens Maintained by the Hill 2000, and it's Barra Park Community Gardens. Ah, there's a drinking fountain there. There's a bowl for dog water, and uh-oh, They've left their hose out. I guess the faucet's still on, too, so maybe they have to do a little bit watering. I don't know. One thing I did have to—this is not related—well, it is. It's part of the walk. There's a deli right across the street from Barra Park, and they had bread delivered sometime 
you know, quite early. So it was sitting out on the street. So I could have gotten, you know, just picked up all the bags and put them all in the back of my car. Huge Italian loaves of bread and all other kinds of bread, too. But I just said, well, what am I going to do with all that bread? At first, I thought, what's going on there? But I had to look in the bags. I'm sorry. I didn't touch the bread, though. So you don't have to worry about that. But anyway, and uh, there's this park is really kind of cool. There's a partially walled area where there's bench seating, and uh, it's lined with knockout roses, the walkway to get up to it. And there's some cut stone plaques in their in, in memoriam. It's Club PBM of the Hill, and it lists many of the names of people who made the great sacrifice during the wars. The flagpole down the street, well, the flag was so wet it couldn't even move, even though there was a breeze. It was like it was stuck to the flagpole. But um, it's just, you know, it was just kind of a fun time. Massive cherry trees, flowering cherry trees, uh, bare branches, along with so many other deciduous trees, obviously, this time of year. It wasn't, at least on that part of the Barra Park I was in, there's not too many oak trees right in there. So, like, when I'm looking out the window right here, all the oak trees are still holding under the leaves. But uh, those, you know, in Barra Park, most of the trees have already dropped. So it was really kind of nice. And... Really, uh, the rain had stopped, and it was really kind of nice to see the deciduous trees because the sky was starting to lighten up, and it really made everything a nice contrast looking up through the branches. So I decided to follow this uh, asphalt walkway around, and there's a tribute to Louis G. Midge Barra. And uh, he had passed away in 1964, but there's a great... (laughs) The whole area is just, it's really neat. And also his statue is, uh, it's actually of his shoulders and his face and his head, blah, blah, blah. Embraced by knockout roses as well. Further down the path, there's a huge amount of juniper berries on the ground. I was surprised. So the cedars that basically run along the fence there, cedars slash junipers, that kind of distinguish between the park area and the baseball field and the soccer field, they had a huge year of producing fruits slash berries. And uh, I just kept walking along, and I could tell in the summertime there's an area which is a fountain, which the kids, I'm sure, and adults really like to kind of go and cool down. The crows were overhead. They were calling out saying, the rain has stopped. Come on, let's go. Robins were all over the place suddenly, and the sky was reflected in the puddles of rainwater as I just kind of headed back towards my car. So... What a great place to start my day at Barra Park in the Hill. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Mornings and afternoons, KMOX has news at the top and bottom of the hour. Traffic and weather every 10 minutes. And sports at 15 and 45. On the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks, do you have any questions, concerns, or comments? 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Just, uh, you know, a little information-wise, Tracy was reading something off the Internet the other day, and they were suggesting that people buy bare root plants this time of year and install them. And, you know, I said... That may work in certain areas, but in a location like ours where we have one day like this where it is so warm 
and then we could have a few days from now where it's going to be freezing cold and freeze the ground. Then it's going to get warm again. Then it's going to get cold again. And that freeze-thaw cycle, actually, bare root plants can be heaved up out of the ground, and they won't survive. But they were making it sound like you could do trees, you could do shrubs, you could even do some perennials maybe. But this was, you know, I don't want to say what the, you know, this was sponsored by kind of a a big-name, let's say, TV show, commercial, I don't know, whatever. doesn't matter. But this time of year, do not buy any bare root plants. <laughs> it's not the best thing to do. Containerized, yes, but only containerized trees and shrubs. That's probably all that's going to be available. So anyway, enough of that stuff. Let's go to Melville and into Nancy's yard. Hi, Nancy. Hi, Mike. I have a um, couple, uh, well, I have six plants outside that are in my, um, in the ground. And I was wondering what I need to do either now or in the spring. And what they are is um, daylilies, bearded iris, um, liriope. I guess it's the corbels or the hookura. Yeah. say Hukura. that. And then, um, yeah. And then, um, oh, what was the other thing? Oh, I have a clematis. And there was a, oh, and a threadleaf coreopsis. Do I need to cut any of those down? Um. Probably the iris, definitely, I would cut down. But the rest of it, uh, if the foliage has turned brown, it's not really fall bloomers in any of them. So consequently, the, anything that blooms in the fall, you want to leave the foliage for the entire wintertime because it protects the, protects the crown. But uh, these, if they're not bothering you where they are, and they're recent purchases, I'm assuming, they're probably you know free of insects, diseases, and those kind of problems. That's what happens... A lot of times when, let's say, foliage on perennials is left, it, can, you know, it harbors insect problems you know, through the wintertime and everything else. So you have the option to cut it if you want to, but you don't necessarily have to. Okay, now the bearded iris, I think I planted. I got from somebody, they were already grown, and he was like trying to thin out what he had. Okay. So he gave them to me, but I think I planted them too late, so they never did bloom. But I do have the big, tall, green like leaves. But they're not brown, so I don't need to do anything to those, or should I still cut those back? I would probably cut them back. Now, if he gave you some, you know, fans, you know, of iris that really hasn't bloomed in the past, just because he divided them and gave them to you doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get flowers off of them. Because if you've had them, you know, for a full season, sometimes the transition, the one year where something's, let's say, divided or, you know, installed into a landscape it takes it a full year to acclimate before they're going to flower. So consequently, maybe that's the case. But if this, if these iris, you can cut them back. If they don't bloom the next year, then I would say they're never going to bloom for you. Okay. And the threadleaf coreopsis, you know, that's a little yellow flower right. and stuff. The, it looks like a, a brown bush right now. But yes. do I need to cut that back at all, or does it just die off when the new comes in? Well, yeah, it'll die off, but... It, it's easier to get rid of. You can wait until we we come transition out of wintertime if you'd oh, like, okay, and just get rid of it then. But uh, yeah, the it's probably Coreopsis moonbeam. I'm not sure it's that yeah, particular yeah, one. That's it. Yeah. And so consequently, it's just through the wintertime. Some of that stuff doesn't necessarily look all that good. So a lot of times, it's just easier to cut it off from an aesthetic standpoint. The plant material doesn't really care. Okay. Okay. So I don't need to do anything to the the ryope either now or in the spring either? Well, again, the foliage is going to be, the ryope, you know, I don't know how big the clump is, but it lays down, it really creates a mat, and it's really kind of, let's say, not all that attractive for the wintertime. 
But uh, you should cut it in the spring before the new growth begins. Okay. And so again, that's an aesthetic. Have... That's an aesthetic call because the new growth will come up through the let's say last year's foliage, but it's just it doesn't really look all that nice right at first. Okay, so basically, what I have, I can just wait till spring. Yeah, wait before, but make sure you cut everything off before the new growth begins. Right, but I, like today, I can go out and cut back my uh, knockout rose bushes. Yeah. Oh, yes, you could. Okay. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, and yep. have a good weekend. You do the very same thing. And now let's go to Brad, and he's from St. Louis. Hi, Brad. Hi, Mike. I had a question about uh, my leaves. I always use a mulching mower, thinking that I'm doing a good thing for the soil. Mm-hmm. Uh, but some people bag them and throw them away. What, what, how do you, what do you say? I do both. I have a mulching mower myself. But in the lawn areas, sometimes... You know, because I don't know where you live, how many leaves you have, but because we're across the street from a park, the prevailing winds blow a lot of leaves into our onto our lawn and our bed spaces too. And consequently, if I just kept mulching and mulching and mulching, it gets really thick and dense. You know, as far as the mulched leaves, that it becomes problematic in its own way. So what I do is about every second or third time, I just go ahead and rake even when you're raking, too, you're raking some of the mulched prior leaves out. But uh, that's kind of what I do. Okay. Is there an extra charge for another question? Uh, Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Give me your credit card number here right now. (laughs) No, I've got a pine tree, and it puts down so many pine needles and I'm wondering if that's going to cause a change in the soil to mess up my grass. And if so, is there something to counteract that? Basically, you can't counteract it. So, in other words, where you're not going to have successful grass underneath pine trees anyway. I don't know how big this particular one is, but uh, lawn just lawn you know doesn't mind a slightly acidic soil, but it's the branches, it's the root system of the tree is going to be more problematic from that you know that perspective as opposed to the soil pH that's created by the fallen needles. Oh, okay. So the root system is really trouble. I mean, yes, shade is very problematic, you know, from many lawn standpoints, but the roots are really really trouble. Okay. All right, thank you very much. Yep. And uh, let's see get his credit card number, Greg, <laughs> before he hangs up. Oh, he hung up, darn it. <laughs> Let's go now to Cuba, Missouri, and talk with Bob. Hi, Bob. Good morning. How are you today? Very good. Well, your previous caller had my question, but when you mulch the leaves, do you have to get all of them up? I know with the rain, it's hard for the mower to pick everything up, so do I have to rake everything out? Uh, And And does it have to be done this fall, or can it be done next spring? Well... The problem with, let's say, letting them pile up through the wintertime is there's a couple winter funguses. And if you get leaves, you know, that are to the point where they're thick enough that you can't see your grass blades in there, then that could really create a fungus problem. The winter funguses do not kill lawns, but what they do is weaken them. And then when we come around to next year, when the summer funguses, which are deadly, start exploding, they're going after a, gra- a lawn that's already weakened due to the fact that it had the winter fungus. So that's where, you know, where the real trouble comes in. So you really should con- kind of continue to do it on a routine basis as far as either raking, slice, you know, mulching, or whatever. 
okay, okay, yeah, we have an acre and a half and too many oak trees, so it's, it's, <laughs> it's quite an effort to get the leaves all picked up, and with the rain, it's just stuck to the ground. Oh yeah, absolutely. And when it, I mean, with this amount of rain and those, you know, the oak leaves are so a lot, depending upon what type of oaks. I mean, the white oaks have such huge leaves; they're almost like a sheet of paper. Now the yeah, red oaks, you know, group has smaller ones, but still, I mean, it is it becomes a lot of work for sure. Yeah, yeah, we have 71 trees on our property. So You're yeah, kidding. I would say don't worry about the leaves. I would say don't worry. Don't try to grow grass there. Give yourself a break. Okay. Okay, sounds good. Great. You have a great day. You do the same thing. If anybody else has questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Soil preparation, yes, you can go and, you know, like to St. Louis Composting, and get some compost and improve your soils, your bed spaces, your garden spaces, whether it's a vegetable garden or whatever it happens to be, it doesn't matter. But don't do it when the ground is really, really wet. And that's the same thing when the ground is really wet. Let's say you bought a new tree or you got some shrubs. Planting when the ground is this wet is not all that good. And just always remember, if you're planting any woodies, to make sure that the root, you're making the hole three times the diameter of the root ball, but only about 80% as deep. I'll tell you, I go to you know homes so often for walk and talks, and they wonder what's wrong you know, with these particular plants. And they've either been planted right at grade, and so consequently there's some settling in the soil, and then there ends up a depression around the trunk of or the stems of the tree slash shrub, and then consequently water you know, sits there. And that's what a lot of the problems are. Let's go to Oakville now and see what's going on with Dave. Hi, Dave. Hi, Mike. Uh, I've got creeping Jenny out in the uh, back where there's liriope and some other stuff. But the creeping Jenny got a fungus. I think I walked it in from my yard. Uh, It kind of died out. I put a bunch of peat moss on it to try to arrest it. It did come back, but it's not fully back. Um, I'm wondering what can I do now? Basically, it's it's going it's headed towards dormancy, so you really can't do anything at all to it. I would say, hopefully, you know, if you if it's weaving in and of, you know, around the ripe and other things, there's I mean, you're just kind of stuck with what it is. But usually, it's not really all that prone to fungus problems. So I'm surprised you it's got a fungus problem. Now, is this the yellow one or is this just the green leafed one? No, it's the yellow one, and I've never had it before, but I did have long lawn fungus, and I, I just figured I walked it in there. But um, I did sort of arrest it with the peat moss, but I'm wondering what to – yeah, it is going dormant. It, it's quite dormant, in fact. But right. It always comes back really nicely, and I don't care that it interweaves with the liriope. I actually like it. But um, I'm wondering what can I do this spring or just watch it or what? I say just leave it alone because it ha- – I mean, I have some of the yellow creeping Jenny or money ward, as I call it, uh, in my, you know, in my landscape, too. This year, this past growing season was a really difficult year for it. So I think that was just more or less universal. That's not to say yours didn't have a fungus problem, but I don't think necessarily that's what the problem actually was. Now, I've had mine in, you know, some of mine in for like 10 years and I have found, which I didn't realize before, that uh, about at the eight-year mark, it starts lo- uh, some of the stems start losing the yellow quality, and it just reverts to the green. But, uh, you know, that's just kind of the way it goes in nature. But I don't, you know, I wouldn't necessarily 
go out and do anything in anticipation of the problem because there's really not too much you can do for you know big ground covers like it's not really big but I mean let's say really matting type ground covers so I would say just uh, you can watch it if you want to but uh, I would not do anything to it okay sounds good thanks yeah. That way you can just kind of take it easy and enjoy it. But, yeah, I like it myself. I have mine combined with uh, uh, sedum golden acre or golden acre, sedum acre. So that's a, like people call gold moss. And I have it in a couple different places, but mainly in between the sidewalk and street. And this past year, the sedum did fine. But, boy, that, uh, you know, the creeping jenny or yellow money ward, as I call it, um, it had some tough times. Then it recovered, you know, when fall came around. And but now it's you know like you said headed towards dormancy. So three one four four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. Have questions, concerns, or comments? Back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, in your own yard, you could be doing a lot of stuff on a perfect day like this, maybe putting out holiday decorations. After my uh, walk and talk in Frontenac, I'm headed home to start laying out things, the timers, the wires, the extension cords, and all that other stuff. Don't know if I'll get around to actually getting any of the lights up, but uh, sort of the, let's say, ba- basic framework, is. I want to get that done and. uh because the weather's going to be nice, except they are talking about severe thunderstorms maybe later on today. So uh, if you got stuff to do in the yard, get out there and get it done as soon as you possibly can. Let's head out to St. Charles and go into Doug's yard. Hi, Doug. Hey, good morning. Mike, I've got a Japanese red maple that is kind of getting too large for my the spot it's in. Mm-hmm. When is the best time to, to trim that back to keep it, you know, more... Uh, size for my yard right basically all the maples birches and beech trees prefer to be pruned during the summertime and you think well that's not the you know the best time to do it you can prune them in the winter time but there's there could be you know a little bit more sap flow than when they're pruned in the summertime so even though we're talking basic maples you know as opposed to the japanese maple it, it runs pretty much through that whole genus so I would say if you can wait until do it to do to, to do it in the summer, that would be ideal. If you can't, then just do it during the winter time. Okay, I appreciate that. Yep, and uh, thank you. Yes, and uh, that's for anybody pruning this time of year. You could certainly do it on a lot of different kinds of trees and shrubs, but just remember anything that flowers in the su- in the springtime that if you prune it now, what you're doing is reducing the flowers. For the spring. So it doesn't hurt the shrub, tree, or anything else by pruning it now. It's just simply reducing the flowers. That's why generally with spring flowering shrubs or trees, we recommend pruning just from an aesthetic standpoint after they finish flowering. Because it's still early enough in the season that it shouldn't be problematic from a disease or anything else standpoint. Now let's head out to Fenton and go into Ted's yard. Hi, Ted. Hey, Mike. Uh, appreciate your show. Um we have a rock that we a pretty large rock in in our bed just for decorative uh, reasons. Mm-hmm. But it seems like um, some of the plants that we plant near it. Um, I, I'm just wondering if something leaches off that rock and can kill those plants that are uh, in the in the area kind of next to it. If it is limestone, definitely. 
limestone. Yes. So there's nothing to combat that except to remove it. Right, exactly. So, I mean, you could you can go out there. What it is is limestone is just like planting plant material near sidewalks or near driveways that are concrete or house foundations that are concrete cement. That, that could cause problems for uh, plant material, even plant material that doesn't necessarily mine an alkaline soil. Alkaline is just sort of the quality of making in the soil a little bit more salty. It's not deadly necessarily, but it's just the chemistry of certain plants. They don't like that kind of alkalinity, and they prefer something either neutral or something more acidic. So you okay. could use you could use plants around it. Is it in the sun or shade? It's uh, half and half, oh, like, so. depending on the time of the day. <laughs> I was going to say, there's not too many plants that like the alkaline soils that uh, can grow in probably a part sun, part shade, because lilacs like an alkaline soil, clematis vines like an alkaline soil. So you might try you know, one or two of those if you want to, but I don't know how big this is, but that's probably what's causing the problem for everything that you're planting around it is the alkalinity created by the limestone. So how would I determine if it's actually a limestone rock? Is there some type of uh, geological process I can like put some type of solution on it or something, and if it bubbles, it's a limestone or anything <laughs> like that? Do you know? No. Probably what I would do is just go and, you know, a soil test is going to cost you about 30 bucks or so. University of Missouri does them, and so consequently you can just go online, find out about soil tests and everything else. Just get a soil test done in the soil that's, you know, surrounding the rock and find out what the soil pH is. Okay. And that would be okay. easier, and that way, I mean, they can even, a lot of times they'll give recommendations if you want to change the pH. I mean, you can put, you know, iron sulfate down and other things, but that's something I don't know if you really want to fool with on a, let's say, every couple-year basis to make sure the, uh, the soil pH is correct. Okay. Very good information. I appreciate your, your uh uh, program every morning. Thank well, you. Well, thank you. And, you know, thanks for having me on your show because remember, folks, if you weren't there, I wouldn't be here. So, you know, as like, you know, a couple weeks ago, I, uh, let's say, I guess it was last week where I had to eat some bark because I'd made a mistake the prior week. And, uh, you know, I, that was nine mistakes this year so far. So I hope I don't make any more mistakes. <sighs> I get a little bit uh, worn out. But, Take a look around your yard. Day like this, you don't want to put up holiday decorations or you're already done with them or whatever it happens to be. But check out for the weed circumstance because the cool season weeds, they're really, they're not flowering yet, but they're well established. And cool season weeds, those are ones that germinate. The seeds germinated in August and they'll grow through the entire wintertime and they'll keep growing until the weather starts getting warm. So cool, cool season annual weeds include chickweed, annual bluegrass, shepherd's purse, rabbit's foot clover, uh, Persian speedwell, and henbit. So, again, those are ones that, you know, they're out there. And uh, it's just kind of amazing. You think this area is pretty much weed-free. But what they do is they grow all through the cold weather, cool weather. They've been dropping. They'll start dropping seeds as they get more mature sometime around Oh, let's say end of January, early February, they'll start flowering and they'll drop seeds and seeds and seeds and seeds. And then those seeds will just lay there dormant until the following August. And that's the soil temperatures is right to trigger the seed germination of that particular plant. So that's what goes on at that time. And then they grow again all through the wintertime. So there's two different types of annual weeds, the cool season ones and then the warm season ones. So. 
I'll tell you, I thought my areas were pretty much weed-free, but uh, I have a rock, I have a steel-edged rock, let's say gravel, not rock. No, it's rock, two-inch rock uh, bed around my house. And I'm, you know, I always find henbit that's growing in there. So even though I don't know where the seed's coming from, it could come in on the, let's say, the feet of animals or myself or whatever it happens to be. So anyway, let's go now to uh, Chuck in Westport. Hi, Chuck. Hey, good morning, Mike. Mike, I have a confession. A couple of summers ago, I called another garden show, <gasps> and they <laughs> and they recommended a, a ground cover called Pachysandra, I think it is. Right. And uh, because we had Creeping Jenny, and we were, just weren't really crazy about the Creeping Jenny. Well, we're not happy with the Pachysandra. It honestly just looks like a bunch of weeds coming up, so I <laughs> want to change that out next spring. Right. And I didn't know if you had a recommendation. Unfortunately, my wife doesn't like uh, English ivy, which I do. But I didn't know if you had another recommendation for a ground cover to cover maybe a, a, like a 10 by 10 area of, uh, of a landscape bed. Is this an area that you – a lot of the ground covers are going to be aggressive. Now, Pachysandra, you know, it, in the catalogs it looks good. It's just a lot of times it's kind of tough to get well-established – once it's established, it's, you know, okay, but I kind of agree with you is in, you know, on, let's say, the aesthetic qualities of the Pachysandra. Is this area in the sun or in the shade? It's in the shade under a big sweet gum tree. Okay, so that's a and really got, tough spot. Yeah, and they've got, uh, I've got a mixture of hostas, liriope, daylilies in this area, and I'm just trying to fill in around those plantings just so I don't have as much mulch laying down around everything, so... Um, so yeah, I didn't know if there's a an, an alternative. There's a there's an apartment complex near me that has a ground cover that's a, a variegated, um, and it's got a leaf on it that's about the size of a nickel. It's a round shaped leaf, and I didn't know if that's something you might know about, or if you had another recommendation. Uh, I would probably, if you want something evergreen, I would look at Vinca Minor, V I N C A, M I N O R. It's an evergreen ground cover. Now, it does sprawl, so you're going to have to kind of keep it under control you know, over time. But it'll weave in and out of other plant material. It only gets about an inch high. And in the early spring, it produces blue flowers. Oh, okay. So, I mean, and then what you can do is because it's so flat, and as we come into, you know, say, the fall season, and your perennials are, all, you know, are, let's say, headed towards dormancy, you can just set your mower high and just run over the top of your perennials without impacting the vinca minor at all. Oh, okay. That sounds like a good idea. So it's just called vinca minor. Right, and the and common I... name is periwinkle. Oh, yeah, I've heard of periwinkle. Periwinkle. Okay, and I assume that's just a mid-spring planting time for something like that? Yeah, as soon as the garden centers have it, you can put it in. Okay. But, right, uh, you okay. know, underneath a sweet gum tree, I don't know how far out you're planning on, you know, you want to install it, but that is, a you know, the thick, dense wood right there, right, as its trunk goes into the ground. So that could be problematic as far as getting anything well-established. So just realize that that may be the circumstance. Well, this bed is... 20-some-odd feet from the trunk of the sweet gum tree. Oh, okay. So it's not really, it's not, I do have some English ivy around the base of the sweet gum tree. Which okay. actually doesn't do that well like you're describing. But right. This area is pretty well away from the base of that tree. It's just, it's such a huge tree, it overhangs, it dominates the whole front yard, unfortunately. So. <laughs> That's what sweet gums do. And then, of course, then you get the sweet gum balls, which are always great fun. Oh, 
Oh, yeah, that's a lot of fun in the fall. Right. So I would think a Vinca Minor would be my first choice. If you want something that has a little bit more height and a little bit bigger, then, and, you know, that has, let's say, blades that's like this, more or less shaped like lawn or grass, look at the Liriope. Oh, I have that all over the place, and it's doing well in that area. I have it around another uh, another bush, but it's been there for 15 years. Right. While it's expanding this area, it would take forever for it to expand where I need it to. So Yeah, if there is a variety. There's one that's a clump grower, Liriope muscari, and then there is Liriope spicata, which is a spreading type. They're two different plants. So one will spread, the other one will just be a clump, and it'll just get bigger around the perimeter of the clump. Okay, all right, great. All right, well, great. Well, thank you very much. Yep, good luck with that. Yeah, Vinca Miner. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. If you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314 314- 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. I was talking about soil testing, and I mean, seriously, we spend so much time and energy, mental money, real money, and everything else on our landscapes. And it is, I mean, it's, it's very rewarding. It's a welcome home if you have a nice yard. And uh, a soil test is really the key. If you don't have the soil test, you're strictly just guessing on what you need to do. Because it's very difficult to know, well, I've been fertilizing, you know, routinely for a long time. Well, have you been using the same fertilizer? Yes, I've been using the same fertilizer. And guess what? Sometimes there are certain nutrients that dissipate very quickly. So in other words, either, let's say, dissolve or go up into the air like nitrogen or something like that. But like phosphorus and potassium, the last two numbers are the three major numbers. Uh, Guess what? They stay in the soil a long time. So a soil test will give you a gauge of your soil fertility. It's an inexpensive way to maintain good plant health and maximize productivity without polluting the environment by over-applications. So a lot of times we think, well, if we just do more fertilizing, then the plant material is going to do better. No, that's not necessarily the case. So, I mean, the soil fertility, it's going to fluctuate through the growing season every year. And the availability of the nutrients is going to change, too. So also there's other things that are going to add nutrients, too, as well beyond fertilizers. There's, let's say, compost. There's mulches as they break down. There is manures, all sorts of other things, too. So just get a soil test done. It's really, really important just to find out what's going on. It's kind of like going to your doctor and, let's say, the doctor says, well, or you go in and you go, well, I'm not exactly sure what's wrong, but blah, blah, blah. He said, well, why don't we do some tests and find out what you know, s- some of the circumstances actually are. And uh, how often should you test your soil? Well, every couple years. So that's going to be, I mean, that's kind of what it's about, just every few years. Get a soil test done because there are changes in the soil. And as I said before, there are, you know, the University of Missouri does the soil testing University of Illinois used to. I don't think they do it anymore. But there are private companies as well, private companies that are local, let's say in Belleville and uh, other areas over on the Illinois side. But just go online, look at soil testing and soil testing, and uh, get it done. Stop fooling around. Let's go now to South City, and that's where Liz is. Hi, Liz. Stop fooling around. Hey, Liz, are you there? 
Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Thank you. Um, I was uh, wondering, I had bought some um, uh, dirt, not just regular dirt, like so, good soil, mm-hmm. and um, I didn't use it. So can I leave that set out in the package if I cover it, or should I put it in the garage? Over the winter. Uh, so it's bagged, let's, let's say bagged stuff. It's, yeah. not, it's not really ideal. So you just don't want to spread it. You don't want to mix it in with your existing soil. I, I would say... Well, I was going to use it in a particular spot, and I didn't get to it okay. before. But it, it, if it's going to... If the nutrients in there are going to die or something or whatever, you know, um, I'll, I'll put it out, but... Yeah, it's. I mean, the, the nutrients are not necessarily going to die. It's just in that plastic, with the weather the way it is and everything else, you could get some real high humidity in there, and you could actually have some major fungus problems related to the inside of the bag when you finally do spread it around. So that's kind of the disadvantage of leaving something like that sit for multiple months. So if if you don't if you don't want to use it, I would say. Take it into your garage, but don't set it on the garage floor. You know, make sure that it's up off the garage floor, either on some kind of plastic, you know, shelving or something like that. And that would be the ideal thing. Sometimes people will leave them out, and then if it's an area where the sun strikes, the the bags will start splitting just due to the sun, you know, hitting the plastic even in the winter time. So that's you know problematic in its own way. So I would move it inside, you know, just make sure that it's not sitting, you know, right on the garage floor, but, uh, and then use it next year. Okay. I appreciate it. And uh, thank you very much for your time that you spend on this show. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah. It's a, you know, a lot of times we buy things with anticipation and uh, speaking of things in bags, if you have any kind of chemicals like fertilizers or anything, liquids or granular, just make sure those bags are pretty well, let's say, tightened up so no moisture, you know, to minimize the amount of moisture. And with your liquids, put them in a location in your garage or wherever you store your stuff that won't, where they won't freeze. Because even if you're not conscious of the fact that they froze, because in springtime when you go out there, you go, well, this, you know, I sh- you shake it in the bottle. And you think, okay, well, this doesn't seem like it froze. But you never know. So you just got to be really, really careful about, you know, let's say getting stuff and then not using it through the, you know, let's say in a relative in one season's time. So buying a big, let's say, gallon jar of something or multiple bags of something because it's cheaper at the end of the season is not necessarily the ideal thing to do because things can change, especially if you store, let's say, your fertilizers, your insecticides, your fungicides in a shed versus like in a garage. But even like with my garage, it might as well be a shed in a way because it's not attached to the house and it's certainly not heated. So I, you know, I have, I put them down in styrofoam, blah, blah, anyway. So let's go now to Winfield and into John's yard. Hi, John. Good morning. Hi. I have a blue spruce tree that's grown to be about 45 foot tall within about 30 foot of the house. Can I trim the top of it or will that kill the tree? It won't kill the tree, but you probably never get any new growth there. So in other words, it, 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 you know, you'll never get any lateral growth. One that's that old and that mature, it's not going to be able to send out a new side shoot to create, let's say, a new top. 
So just realize that you're, you know, you're cutting it off and it's going to be stuck at that height. If it was a younger tree, a lot of times when you do prune the top of it off, it'll reestablish a new, let's say, leader. But uh, an older one like that, it's, my guess is probably won't. It's a beautiful tree, and I hate to cut it all the way down, but it, I'm kind of worried about it blowing over onto the house sometime. Well, you know, I mean, as long as it looks healthy and everything else, that's not to say it couldn't happen because I don't know, you know, the circumstance where you are and what kind of winds come through Winfield, where you know, where your house is. But usually, you know, spruce trees are pretty tough and durable. So that's not to say there wouldn't be something that could happen. But, yeah, I mean, a lot of times people never really plan on full maturity when they install plant material and then you get one like yours, it gets massive and it could be problematic. Okay, thank you a lot. I've been worried about it and didn't know whether to try to trim it out or just, I hate to remove it all together. Right. It's a pretty tree. Yeah, I would say uh, if you're worried about it, then, you know, cutting the top off, you could try it and see what you think. But uh, other than that, John, good luck with that and good luck with your decision. So anybody else has any questions or concerns, we've got another hour of the Garden Hotline. So I will be back after the news. So Mike Miller. KMOX Garden Hotline. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome to the second hour of the Garden Hotline. I'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly, but right now you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with questions, comments, or concerns. Megan was too busy to talk, so she had to get out of here and back into the newsroom. And thanks for having me on your show. And you can call and ask about... How about your annuals? How are they doing? Those pansies, hmm. I have seen only a few that look good. I finally threw mine away the other day. It's like, ugh. They went through too many really cold, really warm, and they just aesthetically. The foliage was okay, but uh, the flowering, I hadn't seen any flowers for quite a while, so I give them the toss. How about your bulbs? Those spring flowering bulbs? Whoops. I forgot that those were in the garage and they never got planted. You're right on the cusp. So a warm day like this, it would be ideal to plant them, but the ground is going to be really wet. So just watch out about planting this time of year. How about your cool season vegetables, your ground covers, your house plants, your lawn, your perennials, your roses, trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens? If you do have a water garden and you do have fish in it, or even if you don't have fish, a lot of times putting a netting over the top of the water, you know, say the pool area of your water garden, will keep a lot of the leaf debris out. For fish, if you do have fish in there, that's crucial because those leaves can sink and then really create a toxic environment for your fish. So your koi, your goldfish, and everything else, they may not do well. And then if, let's say, you don't even have fish in there, you don't want it to fill up with a lot of leaves because it's just a nightmare to clean that stuff out. And I'll share my thoughts and uh, guess what? Remember, my answers, comments, or opinions is not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered for you to concern, <laughs> to consider, not concern. It is a concern. 
But uh, Greg is producing today, so when you call, he will ask you what your name is and where you're calling from. That's about all I need to know. And that's all he needs to know. So during the week, I do landscape consulting, which I do call a walk and talk. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. On the homepage, there's my email address and phone number. So you can contact me. And if you'd like to give a gift certificate for a walk and talk to somebody, you can do the same thing. And I'll email a gift certificate back to you. And uh, now the tip of the trowel, which is a special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me. And the tip of the trowel is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Tip of the trowel goes to two doors down Charlie. Two doors down Charlie, that was two, down, two doors down from us. And the other day, after the street sweeper, our side of the street is Thursday. And the other side of the street's Wednesday. That's how it works. But, I mean, I have to kind of give the tip of the trowel to those street sweeper people. There was so many leaves. I mean, they went up and down several times to try to get them all. But still, they couldn't get them. And a lot of times, some of them gets pushed back up onto the, you know, onto the bed spaces and back, you know, they don't quite get them all on the street either. But Charlie took time to take his blower out, you know, blow a lot of them back across the street into the park. And then also he got his mower out and he walked along the curb and actually chopped up a bunch of the leaves that way. So two doors down, Charlie, a tip of the trowel out to you. And tip of the trowel goes out to, as I see each week, different garden clubs. Gardeners of Florissant, which is a garden club. Uh, Gardeners of St. Charles County. The Garden Society of Wildwood. The Gateway Rock Garden Society. Gateway West Jesnerian Society. There's all kinds of garden clubs that go specifically at one particular type of plant material or other ones that are just kind of in general. So you can go to Missouri Botanical website and check it out. A lot of the ones that they mention or list are ones that meet there at the Botanical Garden. But you can find all kinds of gardens, you know, garden societies and garden clubs that could be really beneficial. Here's the Greater St. Louis Daffodil Society. So shows you whatever kind of plant material you may be interested in, they are going to have a plant society that could benefit you. So tip of the trial goes out to, out to all those people that keep organized those plant societies. They are really very beneficial to anyone intellectually and everything else. So let's take a couple questions before we take a break. Elias lives in St. Louis. Elias, how are you today? Good morning, Mike. How are you? Very good. Good. What is a good mix for a raised bed? For a raised bed? Yes. I would say go to St. Louis Composting and get a raised bed mix. They have it formulated for you and just mix it in with your existing soil. Okay, it comes in bags or? Uh, I think it, they, it's, I'm not sure, you know, bag product, but just go online, you know, okay. stlcompost.com and, and look and make sure that it does come in bags. Okay, second question, I have about eight, eight, eight amarellas. Amaryllis? The pot for about three years. Do I have to change the uh, potting soil? No, you really no. don't. If you're fertilizing them on a routine basis, the only time you really have to you know, change it because you're fertilizing them usually, and a lot of times they don't even need fertilizer because they have such a huge bulb. It would help them from a beneficial standpoint, but I've grown them for multiple years, like you know, five or seven years in the same little plastic pot they came in. The only time I put them into a larger pot is when the bulb gets almost too big for the pot. And then I know there's not enough, let's say, growing medium there for it. 
But uh, no, you don't really have to change a potting mix on it at all. If you want to, you can, but it's not essential to do. And if you did do that, I would probably use a, a type of potting mix for growing cactus because it's going to be really well-drained. And the amaryllis or any type of bulb like that prefers a really well-drained soil. Okay, Sure, I'll give him like a quarter of a cup of water because the, the dirt is, uh, I mean, the potting soil is dry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you push, you know, if you touch it and it doesn't feel, it feels really stiff to your fingertip, yeah. Uh, yeah, certainly water it. It doesn't hurt it, but uh, don't overwater because you don't want to rot. Yeah, right, right. And my last question is, I have an orchid in a pot that it comes with uh, with wood chips. Mm-hmm. Now the roots start to be on the surface. Right. Can I pot it in regular pot with potting soil? No, uh, no, no. No? You okay. d- these are ones that naturally in their native habitats grow like on the sides of trees or on trees that have fallen over or something like that. So they grow on bark. They never grow on soil or in soil. Oh, in soil. Okay, yeah, because the leaf is getting bigger and the plant is tilted, you know. <laughs> right, yeah, that's what's going to happen for sure. But, uh, yeah, the roots will come out on the surface. They'll elongate to the point where sometimes they even wrap around the edge of the pot. But, no, yeah. don't put it in potting mix, potting soil or anything. Yeah, because I took the, you know, I give it a quarter of a cup, you know, a week. Right. And I pull out, you know, it's plastic pot, uh, pot. I can see the roots around the, you know, the container from right. inside, of course. Yeah. And that's, you know, in their, as they're growing naturally, they use those roots to cling on to whatever they're growing on to. So it's, they use right. those roots for support. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much and have a happy Christmas. Well, you do the very same very thing. Good. And, you know, and again, just contact St. Louis Composting to find out about the raised bed mixed to see if they do have it. You know, I don't have all their products memorized. Some are in bags, some are not. So thank you for calling. And now let's go to Dave in Manchester. Dave, how are you? Good morning, Mike. How are you? Hi. Hey, my concern today is regarding deers that are rubbing the bark off of trees in my yard. I've not really noticed this too much in past years, but... uh, I was wondering, I have you know, some mature trees, and I have some that I've started out about three or four years ago that are very small. Uh, once the bark has been rubbed off, is there anything that I should do to protect it, or should I just simply surround it with some protective material sheathing or something like that? You could do that, but basically the best thing you can do, you're not going to be able to stop them probably. That's not to say you can't. But any of the bark that's, you know, frayed, that's hanging on to the tree, so in other words, frayed, cut all that off with a razor blade because that just offers an opportunity to, you know, collect moisture and other problems related to fungus. So that's what you really want to avoid. Wherever you can get to it, you know, like using a razor blade blade knife or something along, along that line. And it's really, I mean, the males are just, you know, they're marking their territory. It's kind of like, you know, let's say dogs, male or cat males, they mark territories. But deer don't do, let's say, the urination. They strictly do the, you know, the rubbing of the barks. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. Yep. Good luck with that. And uh, let's see, we probably should take a break. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, Elias that I was talking to before the break, uh, he asked about if the St. Louis Composting Raised Bed Mix was available in bags. Yes, it is. It's SLC Raised Bed Mix. 
It's a one cubic foot bag. So that's pretty heavy, but it's, they're not too bad. So you can get it in bags so you don't have to have some giant tractor trailer or whatever come with a big dump truck or anything. Let's go now to Belleville and over to Ed's yard. Hi, Ed. How are you? Fine, Mike. Thanks. Uh, I'm a longtime listener of yours, and this is a first-time caller for me. Um, my question is about pruning fruit trees. I have like eight fruit trees, four apple and four peach. And now that the leaves are off my fruit trees, they really need to be pruned, I can see, because they don't have that good cup shape to them, you know, on the on the limbs going up. And I got some middle limbs that need to be cut out. Is now a good time to do it, or should I wait till springtime before they bloom? Any kind of suckering growth, so in other words, new twigs that are just kind of shooting up, definitely go ahead and do that now. Just get rid of it. But what you want is your fruit tree should be like an upside-down umbrella in a shape. But you have to realize that if you do pruning on, let's say, the branches that potentially could have, let's say, flowers slash fruit, then by pruning them now, you're just reducing your fruit count for, you know, for next spring or next summer. So that's a disadvantage of doing it. But any sucker growth, anything that's like, uh, let's say, a half inch or maybe even three quarters of an inch in diameter, I would just cut that off and just make sure you make the cut as close as you possibly can without getting too close, which seems stupid for me to say, uh, to the whatever it's you know connected to, whether it's to the trunk or the next larger branch or anything else. You want to leave just a little bit on the smaller twigs like that, maybe like an eighth of an inch stub. And any of the bigger branches, ultimately, if you take them off, you want to make sure that you don't flush cut because that okay. causes problems. Okay, okay. And would it be all right to top them, too? Because a couple of my trees are so tall that, I mean, I can't even reach them with my pole uh, uh, catcher that catches the fruit. Right. Know, I can't even, is it okay to top my trees? Well, again, if you... Because you can't reach the fruit, I guess you could certainly do that. But I'm assuming you have a pole pruner to get up there and prune it. Or are you going to, because you don't want to cut long branches off in just one cut. Longer branches, if you do that in one cut, it's going to tear the bark where they're attached to. So you don't want to have that happen. So longer branches, generally you have to cut back in sections, you know, one third, one third, with the final cut being on the trunk or the next lower, next larger branch that it's attached to. Okay. Well, thanks for your help. I sure appreciate it, Mike. Thank you for your show. Sure, and thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, I have a pole pruner, and uh, speaking of pole pruners, <laughs> you know, I go out there and I hack on all kinds of different things, you know, on my maple trees mainly because that's the only really tall things. But I swear, you know, this year the fall webworms, which are kind of like a wad of leaves on the end of the branches – you know, with all this kind of like netting, webbing, and everything else, those are the fall webworms, and they feed on the trees. And for the most part, they don't do a whole lot of damage other than aesthetics. But I tell you, the you know, a few years ago there was only a few. This year, there's probably on at least one of them for sure. I haven't looked at all of them, but there's probably like thirty big, you know, clumps. Not big, but they're probably like four inches long leaves that they were just so bound up with this webbing from these fall webworms that, uh, you know, they really look kind of weird. So I think I'm going to take my pole pruner out, you know, maybe not today, maybe on a day when it's cold and, you know, get rid of some of those things. So thanks, Ed. And now let's go to Centralia, Illinois, and see what's going on with Carl. Carl, how are you? Fine. How are you doing this morning? Very good. 
I uh, have a, it's a rather large compost pile, and I was wondering for the wintertime, would it be good to cover it with like plastic or just leave it open? Definitely don't cover it with plastic because that could create a fungus problem unbelievable. So just leave it alone. You know, generally, you know, when the weather gets cold, it should steam. So then, you know, on a routine basis, maybe once a month or so, I don't know how big this is, or if you've got a tractor or whatever, you know, rotate it and turn it. But other than that, that's about all you need to do. Okay. Thank you very much. Yep. And now let's stay in Illinois for, let's see, this third call in a row, and we're going to Fairview Heights. Joyce, how are you today? Hi, I cannot believe I'm calling about an indoor houseplant question. I'm always calling out, out about my outdoor. But um, I got, I thought it was a Christmas cactus, but it's blooming now. So is it a Thanksgiving cactus? Certainly uh, could be, because there are two I mean, different varieties. The, the difference basically is the bloom cycle and also the leaves, you know, which, uh, let's say, the chain of leaves. The, the Christmas cactus looks a little bit, these are not real spikes or thorns on the side. They look a little bit spikier along the perimeter edge. And the, the Thanksgiving cactus looks a little bit more smooth and more oval-shaped. So that's the main difference between the two from, an, from just visually looking at them. And also, yeah, I mean, you could have a Christmas cactus that's just blooming out of cycle. Because uh, I don't cover it or anything. Yeah, you don't need to do all that stuff. It's just, they're going to bloom whenever they kind of want, in a way. Yeah, that's what they're doing. And (laughs) do I need to repot them? I mean, the pot's so big now, so... Heavens, no. Could I divide them? Uh, You could. Just make sure that you do it carefully. If you're going to divide them, you know, more or less lay the pot on its side. Gently pull the Christmas cactus or Thanksgiving cactus out. And look at, you know, look at the root system and everything else you're going to have to probably shake some of the potting mix off and make sure when you make a cut, to, so you're going to cut a wedge out of it. Or you could just cut some of the stems off if you wanted to and try to root them by laying them flat on a potting mix. And if you do this at all and you have to get some new potting mix, make sure you get potting mix for cactus, not normal potting mixes. That's why I changed it. Okay. That's good. That's what I was doing right. Great. Okay, thank you. Yeah, so if yours is big and it's blooming, just enjoy it. So if it doesn't bloom, let's say, technically at the right time, flowering is flowering. So that is what it's all about. Let's see if we can go to Augusta, woo, the wine country, and see what's going on with Victor. Victor, how are you? Good morning. First time listener, many years listening. Ah. <laughs> but anyways, I got to... I have some information. It sounded like that I could use some of the leaves that fall on the ground mm-hmm. and in the in the yard and whatever we have. We got a pretty good sized yard, and that leaves could go and, and get and be a, a, some type of a asset to the to the tree to the uh, grass. In other words, it would be like in moldy, not moldy, but it would kind of get bad and and be a Asset instead of a killing the killing the grass. I don't know if it makes any sense or not or not. So you're asking me if you can do that? Yes. Can I? Can it, some of the leaves stay on the grass? It depends upon how thick they are and what type they are. Okay. Some of the leaves start breaking down relatively quickly, like on locust trees and things like that, because they're relatively small. Oak, tree, oak trees, I got. Oak yeah. trees, no. 
because they're big. They will be there next spring, and they will create a huge humidity problem, and then you're going to have major fungus problems in your lawn. So the best thing to do is to get rid of the leaves, is that right? Right, either that or, like a lot of people, myself included, have a mower that mulches them. So it just keeps churning it around. It doesn't throw stuff out immediately. It spins it around and chops them up into small pieces. But even if you do that, the mulching mowers are great. But when you finish mulching, let's say, the leaves that you have, and you look back, and they're so thick you can barely see the grass, yes. then that's still too thick even though the leaves have been chopped up. So what is the best way to get rid of them? Just use a mulching mower? Uh, you could use a mulching mower or, you know, raking is always great fun. Yeah, I do that now, and it's getting to be a, uh, pretty much of a burden. I understand. <laughs> Okay, well, thank you for the information I need. There was somebody who told me one time some of the grass that is underneath of the leaves is not going to hurt anything at all. That's wrong. That's wrong. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought, too. Okay. Yeah, it's just, I mean, you can go out now, and if you've got it, you know, any kind of leaves piled up on your lawn area, just take a rake and not rake it heavily to get rid of them. Just, you know, rake them a little bit and look how much moisture there is there. And that is just, uh, like I said in the, during the first hour, it's a situation where the, it'll create a fungus problem in the winter, which is not deadly fungus. It just weakens your lawn, and then when summer comes around, then that's when the real trouble starts, and they're already weak. So thanks, Victor. And if anybody else has any questions, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages. Recently on the Charlie Brennan Show. Fabiano Carana is getting more attention than any other St. Louisan in years. What do we do with Fabiano? Aaron Williams writes in an email to me this morning. He also CC'd the mayor and Kitty Radcliffe. Any major city our size outside the United States would give, the, give this guy a huge celebration. This really is a big deal that someone living in St. Louis made to its most strenuous final world championship round in chess history we need to find a way to make him a household name especially among young people that's aaron williams aaron that's a great idea charlie brennan weekday mornings at nine on kmox this is the st louis composting garden hotline with your host mike miller on kmox Yes, folks, to the phones we go, but if you do have a question, concern, or comment, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. All the Christmas tree lots, yes, they are getting all ready to go. When you do get a tree, if you decide to get a tree, when you bring it home, you know, make sure that you cut a, you know, an inch or so off the bottom of the trunk and then put it into water immediately. Let's say you can't bring it inside immediately. Still go ahead and cut it. And just put it in a bucket of water, either in your garage or outside or something like that, because that's going to be to the advantage. It's going to make the needles hang on a little longer. To be honest with you, I've been surprised at how many people, when it was still November, now it's December, of course, uh, that were, you know, had the Christmas trees already purchased. They were tied up to the top of their cars and everything else. But, uh, you know, we all got our own schedules. So let's go to Bob now, and he's in O'Fallon. Hi, Bob. Good morning. Hi. Um, I, two quick questions on a tree. Uh, I need to cut a tree back. I've done it before, and I know you tell us to tri- trim it back, cut it back no more than one-third maximum. Uh, so my question is, uh, you normally say to make sure the leaves are off the tree. 
and I've got about 10, uh, maybe 10 or 15% leaves still on the tree. Can I cut that thing back yet or not? Oh, yeah, you can do it. I mean, just it's just easier to see the branches and everything else. But if you only got that small percentage of leaves on it, they're just hanging on because they haven't let go yet, basically. Very good. And then fertilizing the tree. I've heard your method of drilling holes and using fertilizer or compost in the holes. Right. How late in the winter or how early in the spring can I do that? You can basically do it any time you want. So okay. during the you know the dormant season. So as soon as you want to get out there and with an earth auger and an electric drill bit and just backfill those holes with compost, start about halfway out from the trunk and do a full circle around, then go move out another couple feet, then another circle around, and you do it all the way to just beyond the extension of the branches. Wow. All right. Thank you very much. Yeah, so it's going to be a lot of, uh, you know, let's say augering, but it's not problematic. And let's say the dirt that comes up out of the hole, you want the hole to be about six inches deep. And the reason for that is because all the feeder roots up near the surface. So that's why you don't need to go any deeper than that. So yeah. it's it's really kind of wild and crazy. So thanks, Bob. Is there the, another question? I could have no, sir. I could have asked the grass that question. Guess not. I guess that's he, about where they are. Let's they go like now that, to. Like oh, I can't hear you. No, no, that's all. Thank you very okay. much. Well, thank you. Bye. <laughs> yeah, let's go now to Mary, and or you want to go to Mark? Mark and Highland. Hi, Mark. Hello. Hi. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, my question is, I did a little outdoor uh, water feature that has a virus and a, uh, a long stem grass. I forget the name of it. Uh, and uh, I was wondering if, the, as long as I keep it covered with water uh, on the pot, if the stems of the virus are dead, is that okay? You mean to to prune them to cut them off? Yeah, should I cut them off, leave them in the water, take them out? You can leave the iris or the ornamental grass that you have growing in the water. You can leave them in you know the water garden just so there's water there. You can cut the foliage off whenever you want. Oh, okay. Yeah, it looks pretty pretty dead. So I, <laughs> I that was the case. Yeah. Well, some people like to leave it. You know, they don't mind the brown look through the wintertime. But I think, you know, personally, it just doesn't look all that good to me. But, again, that's a personal aesthetic call. Okay. Well, thanks very much. That's the first time I've called you, but I've listened to you for years. Well, great. Well, thanks for calling. Yeah, if you would go to, the say, the Japanese garden at the Botanical Garden, all the iris, you know, they have the Japanese iris growing in a couple bed spaces in a couple different areas. They've all been cut back by now, and probably most of the other stuff has been cut back, too. Just because it's an aesthetic thing, it's not necessarily essential to do, but if you don't, then, you know, let's say during the wintertime, it finally leans over, gets down into your water, and that could cause problems in in and of itself. So, thanks, Mark, and now let's go to Mary in Lynn, Missouri. Hi, Mary. Hi, Mike. I have a hint to uh, keep the deer from rubbing on your, especially the small trees. I've been hanging uh, pie plates like with the poke a hole through them and hang them on a branch. Really? And that really seems to work. Great. Well, that's a good idea. Also, you know, I should have recommended, uh, you know, what I've done in the past or recommended in the past that I've found pretty successful is hanging bars of Irish spring soap. Yes. That's good, too. That repels them. Right. But the pie plates are a little noisy when the wind blows sometimes, but I haven't had any problems since I started doing that. Wow. 
the aluminum pie plate. Wow, we that's yeah. So I mean, you get a sort of a really wild wind chime, and it keeps the deer away. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and one one other thing, I have a, another tip of the trial to the Lynn Garden Club 60th anniversary this year. Perfect. So. Um, I just thought I'd mention that. I heard you mention all the other garden clubs. Yeah, I just, you know, I have a big list, and I just kind of mix them up every so often. So uh-huh. Lynn Garden Club. Now, where is yeah. Lynn, Missouri? We are 20 miles east of Jeff City on Highway 50. Oh, great. Uh, in Osage County. All right, sounds perfect. Uh-huh. Well, tip of the trowel to the Lynn Garden Club. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Mary. All right, thank you. Yeah, and thanks for the, you know, the aluminum pie pans. So that's really so everything is just so wild and crazy. Let's go now to uh, St. Louis, and that's where Richard lives. Hi, Richard. Hey, hi, Mike. How are you? Very good. Hey, I, I uh, about a month ago, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, I thought you said when you cut a limb off the trunk of the tree, that uh, the spray, the black sealer, doesn't really do any good. Not anymore. And- it used to have lead in it, which helped suppress the fungus. Now it's just strictly cosmetic. Oh, is it better not to uh, to do it at all? Then? Yeah, it's better. I mean, you might as well just take some dirt or something and rub it on if you don't want to see the fresh cut. So way back when they had lead in them, it was really good. But then when they took all the lead out of all the paint stuff, that's when it turned bad. Or just not guess, not bad, just useless. I guess it wouldn't be any good for me to melt down my sinkers uh, at the old lead <laughs> Fishing, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could you could go, go contrary to the Environmental Protection Agency and everything else. I'll turn um, you in, though. Get his address we, so I can turn him in. <laughs> we, certainly, we certainly don't want to do that. But uh, I just have my tree. I have a tulip, a um, popular tulip tree. Ah. Back, and uh, and uh, it's a couple of branches, lower branches. I had to cut off at the, at the trunk. Right. And I was wondering if I understood you right, and I guess I did. Yeah, you certainly did. And again, if they're longer branches, just make sure you cut them off in sections with the final cut. You know, just leaving a relatively short stub of a you know half inch. Right. Well, Mike, I thank you very much. Well, certainly, my pleasure. Yeah, I cut uh, you know some lower branches. I limbed up a cypress tree that we have, and uh, you can really see where the branches were. But uh, that's just kind of the way it goes. So thanks, Richard. And now let's go to Carol in Freeburg, Illinois. Hi, Carol. Mike, I wonder if you can tell me how to propagate rosemary. <laughs> it's a little tough, to be honest, because, you know, usually it, it may look like there's a whole bunch of stems, but there's not. There's usually just one stem that comes up. And in taking cuttings and using rooting hormone, uh, it, that would probably be a little iffy. If you wanted to try it, with the rooting hormone, I would not do it this time of year. I'd do it in the spring. But things like rosemary, it's tough. I've got rosemary in the window boxes outside our kitchen. And I also have, uh, I always, every year I buy a rosemary tree, which we put into a window inside the house, you know, for, you know, just kind of holiday decoration. And the smell is really great. But, you know, taking cuttings or something, I think you're probably better off just to buy the plants because even trying to grow from seed is a really, really awkward circumstance. And taking cuttings is going to be awkward as well. 
Well, I've tried and have never succeeded. Well, you. So I thought I'd ask the expert. <laughs> well, I've tried. Thank for, you. Yeah, I always fool around with all kinds of different stuff, and I never had luck with it. Like I said, from seed or from taking cuttings with the rooting hormone. So I just finally decided well, I'm just going to have to buy the plants. <laughs> That's a good idea. Thank <laughs> you. Well, thanks, Carol. Bye. Mike, see ya. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Hey guys, it's Alex Ferrario. Join me and Amy Mark Scores for Chili's Week in Hockey as we dive deep into the blue season every Monday night. Notes from around the league and everyone's favorite, what's up with that? 8 to 10 Monday nights. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, St. Labore, that is where Charles lives. Charles, how are you today? I'm pretty good. I enjoy your program. I have two questions. Great. I have zoysia grass in my yard, and I hate it. I'm trying to get rid of it. I sprayed it twice with Roundup this summer, trying to kill it, and now I want to replant. It got too late this fall for me, so I want to redo it next spring. Now, if I tear this all up, am I going to be spreading some of the zoysia roots that are still left, and it'll come right back, or how do I? What's the proper procedure? To yeah, get? basically, you probably you know, even though you you know thought you killed it off, and with two applications and everything else, and you know, Roundup is a systemic, so it should kill all the way down through the root system. But you're probably going to have some sprigs that have survived. So just realize that that's going to happen. Yeah. How can I eliminate them? Uh, you can't. I mean, you're just going to have to go after them, you know, as it comes up and you recognize it, and then just sort of like paint directly onto it with some Roundup or something along that line. Or you can have somebody that has a sod cutter, if you know somebody like that, and they can come in and cut the sod off, the zoysia sod. But even that, could you could still have some root systems that survive. It's just very hard to get rid of. Exactly. Okay, the other question, I have some pecan trees. My pecans uh, farm in the spring, and then they turn black, and some of them are all shriveled up, and some of them have black spots on them, and when they, in the fall, there's hardly any pecans on them. They used to be tremendous bearers. And now when I crack the pecans that are under, they're black inside. Right. But some are whole, some are all shriveled up before you even uh, get formed. Black yeah, I would think uh, your trees are probably old, and they're just not you know, able to produce. That would be my guess. You have, you know, I would also, you have county extension service, you might have them come out and take a look. But uh, I just think, you know, with the age, this is a fungus problem and there's not too much you can do. Okay. Appreciate your help. Yep. Sorry. I wish I could be more helpful. Uh, Richard lives in the city of St. Louis. Hi, Richard. Hi there. Hi. Hi. Hey, I forgot to get my can of bulbs dug up. Is it too late? No, I mean... I don't know, you know what kind of protection they have, but there are some people that just put a, like three or four inches of mulch over the top of where they're planted and leave them out for the wintertime. But no, you can go out and dig them up now. That's not a problem. Mine propagate so fast, I'd have like three times as many next year if I left them in the ground. So I, I understand. Like, that's why I dig them up. Right. Uh, okay. And then the other question is nimble will with my zoysia grass. Uh, you got any great plans for how to get rid of that stuff? No, that's a really that's a very very tough weed. So yeah. no, that I don't know of any magical incantation or anything that really is going to be all that effective. Okay, sorry. Already, thank yeah. you. I wish I had. You know, there's certain things. You know, in theory, it could even be listed on the herbicide label, but uh, that is a very tough weed to control. Uh, Winfield is Tom's yard. Hi, Tom. Hi, how are you? Very good. 
Uh, we bought a, uh, a old farmhouse with about five acres of ground, and it has a little orchard on there with various fruit trees. Uh, we're looking at putting in a big garden this year, and we just bought the house back in January, and this spring and summer we were inundated with those Japanese beetles. I mean, it just turned the, uh, the fruit trees black. Uh, I've been trying to figure out how to kill them, what to do. The only thing I've read is that you can put a, a milky spore bacteria in the ground. You got any other suggestions, or is that the only uh, route to try to get at them? Yeah, I mean, they're really, really, really tough. Now, they are grubs. So they are, you know, as a beetle, you know, when they're baby beetles, they're grubs in the ground. So you could try some grub control. So in other words, like a grub X or something in the springtime, put it down really, let's say, when the forsythia is in bloom, you know, or something. It's a little bit past that probably. But uh, that would probably be the best control you could have because, I mean, they really did some major damage to certain, you know, certain trees and some of the trees, uh, you know, but uh, that's, I would say if you're going to try to get rid of them, I'd go after them as, let's say, babies as opposed to some people pick them off the trees and put them in a bowl of soapy water and stuff. But that can be crazy, especially if you have a bunch of fruit or, you know, any kind of trees. Oh, we've got a dozen fruit trees. No. I've got wild grapevines growing up all along the fence line in the pastures. Right. And, and they're just they're just black with those things right. uh, in the spring and late summer. Yeah, so just try, you know, try the grub control. Grub control. All right. Appreciate it. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, because, I mean, all beetles are going to be grubs part of their life. And there's major five major, let's say, problematic grubs. Some of them don't do major things to, you know, too much. Out of the five that are here, the Japanese beetle is, uh, you know, probably the most, well, there's one that eats bluegrass root systems, too, but trouble in its own way. Uh, Paul lives in St. Charles. Hi, Paul. How are you doing? Good. Um, quick question for you here. Um, Norway spruce. Can I still plant Norway spruce at about six foot, six foot fall and burlap? And yeah. Any tips you could give me on that? Uh, basically, you know, any of the spruce trees want to make sure that they do not sit in a wet circumstance. So in a full sun circumstance, but yeah, they can still be planted as long as you can, as long as the ground is not frozen. So, uh, just three times the diameter of the root ball. That's how, let's say, wide you want the hole, but only about 80% is deep. So in other words, the crown where the trunk and the root systems intersect is going to be higher than the surrounding ground. And again, in a full sun location is ideal. Now realize how big those things get. So don't put it too close to structures, houses, or anything like that. Okay. Um, and should you like mulch them or just let them, let them go as is? Oh, and at, definitely right at first for the first couple of years, you want to mulch. And probably three or four inches of mulch. And then after that, it becomes an aesthetic call as much as anything. When the trees are, you know, let's say when they're young, the branches are kind of stiff. But as they get older, then they're going to kind of sweep down. And, I mean, they're really graceful. They're great trees. The people across the street have one. And uh, it's really nice to watch it in the wind and everything else. Now, they've limbed it up because it's gotten so big. But uh, other than that, you can mulch if you want. You don't have to necessarily. Okay. Thank you. Yep. And now Larry and Godfrey. Larry, how are you today? I'm fine. Thank you. Hey, I've got a couple things. Uh, uh, i got a pruning seal, a spray-on pruning seal that really does stop the fungus. It's waterproof. It, you know, the name is spectricide, but uh, 
that uh, was uh, preyed on damage by uh, on a linden tree from winter freeze that opened the bark up and it's, the fungus started growing on there. And I sprayed that on there, uh, scraped the scraped the fungus off and sprayed that under, and it really does keep it from recurring. Right. And then uh, seven really kills Japanese beetles once they've emerged. You're <laughs> never going to kill all the grubs. Yeah, that, <laughs> that's very true. Yeah, I mean, uh, some people don't, you know, I usually some people on fruit trees don't necessarily want to spray an insecticide, not that it has an impact on the tree. But, yeah, that's why I just said go after them as a grub. But, yeah, the seven is pretty effective. But with any of the insecticides, you have to hit the, let's say, the beetle or whatever you're trying to kill directly with it. Yeah, and they're always on the very top. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. They're smart. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, great. Well, thanks. Thanks for the insight. You're welcome. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the one gentleman called about, uh, you know, the deer problem and everything else. We talked about the lady called and said the aluminum pans hanging on your trees, especially the younger trees. And then I talked about, uh, you know, other things like hanging bars of Irish spring soap. And, you know, with the Irish spring soap, there, there's one part, there's one corner where we got all kinds of dogs in the neighborhood. And that's fine. And people walk their dogs, which I'm glad they do because the dogs stuck in, let's say, city yards is kind of tight. But uh, there was one spot near, uh, let's say, a stop sign where all the dogs decided, okay, somebody down the street went to the bathroom on this, you know, stop sign post. And so I'm going to, and then it turned out to be outrageous as far as they would, of course, they have to mark and scrape and everything else. But uh, so I took some Irish spring soap and just cut the, you know, cut a couple bars into pieces and then laid them around the stop sign post coming up out of the ground. Now, you know, it looks good. And that's where I have some of the sedum acre, the gold moss sedum. But, I mean, the dogs are just tearing it up tremendously bad. So, so Irish Spring Soap. And if you know Irish Spring Soap, it smells so strong. I don't know how people could actually use it in their, you know, for themselves. But that's a personal choice as much as anything else. So there's all kinds of different ways and things that you can do. And, uh, it's, you know, Plants that are maybe a little bit, uh, let's say, less appealing to deer if you live in an area where deer are problematic. Anything that kind of has a fuzzy leaf, like perennials or annuals or those type things, deers generally don't like. But if the weather is horrible, they a lot of times are going after the moisture aspect. We all, we all know they eat you know, the hostas and everything else like that. But everybody have a great season and uh, for fall. And happy Hanukkah tomorrow. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.